Good morning. Oh, that was loud. Wake up. Good morning. Can we give a round of applause for Jesus? Nice and loud. There we go. I know the, uh, the worship was gentle this morning. We had a gentle touch in transition, but I like to get a little rowdy sometimes. So one more time. Good morning. Amen. I think it was the Lord that actually uh, allowed some of our technical difficulties because I was bringing in some visuals this morning and um, nobody's really getting that one. That's okay. Uh, I was bringing in some visuals, but you know, we're going to save those for later. Anyways, we're talking about sex. So that's why, that's why that joke was supposed to be funny. But uh, yeah, tough crowd. It's good. It happens every once in a while. I'm okay. I'll recover. You'll recover. We'll be fine. But happy to be here. Um, I had a beautiful past week. For those of you that don't know, um, uh, there might have been a space missing the last couple weeks. I, some of you may have missed it. My father has been missing, and he's been ill, but I want to report that he's doing good. He's doing really well. And... Um, and it was never anything like super intense or super crazy, um, but he definitely needed some time of rest, and, uh, and so he's doing really well. And so I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that, and um, we're hoping maybe he, we'll see him soon. Uh, amen? And so uh, my sisters are here, my beautiful sisters. Why don't you stand up and just do a little twirl? <laughs> That's Michelle. Oh, there you go, Michelle. I see you. Uh, <laughs> that's my sister Michelle and Sheila, and they're here this morning um, being a support, and so love you guys, and uh, let's get started this morning. If you were here last week, you, you know that we started a series on sex, singleness, dating, love, and marriage, and we're just kind of trying to put it all together and uh, move forward. It's been a, a, it's been a fun topic to, uh, to interact with, but it's also a delicate top topic, and so um, last week I did my best to be as honest and truthful as possible, but made sure I sprinkled a little grace in there, so hopefully you were blessed by that. And so this morning, we're going to continue. When I was originally planning to do this series, um, I thought I was just going to spend one week um, on the subject of sex. But um, that is not the case. We're spending two weeks on it. And so we're going to, that's my wife. Amen, baby. And um, she said, woo! And so uh, anyway, uh, so this morning, we're going to go ahead and we're going to finish up this section um, on sex. I hope that you are blessed. It doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, or anywhere in between. Um, this is definitely something that I believe will not just bless your life as a single, but bless your life as a married. And, uh, and this is also something as a parent that I feel like uh, should prepare you um, for how you would go about to have that discussion uh, with your children. And I would really, really, uh, fathers and mothers, I would really uh, want to encourage you um, to begin to pray now on um, what that would look like. And because the one thing that we've been repeating over and over throughout this series is when the church is silent. Uh, then we empower the culture to become the experts on the subject. And we do not want that to take place. We do not want the culture to indoctrinate our children on sexuality. Man, at least I don't. And I know there's some parents in here that don't as well. And so, um, so we want to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. And so this morning, I want to start off. It's going to be kind of, we're going to go to school for a little bit. And I'm going to do my best to, uh, to preach this morning. But we're going to start off with more uh, some terms and uh, go into school, a little classroom setting for just a moment. I want to give you kind of three. And I guess we're all going to probably be paying attention to this side, but I want to kind of give you three key lessons that I think uh, we should learn regarding sex and the scriptures. So three key lessons that I think we should learn regarding sex and the scriptures. And uh, if you're taking notes, I'm doing my best to itemize it so that you can see it. Um, but the three key lessons are these. The first lesson is this. Whenever you come across the phrase sexual immorality in Scripture, you'll read throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, especially in the New Testament, you'll always come across the phrase sexual immorality. Whenever you come across that phrase sexual immorality in Scripture, what's being referred to is this, any act outside of God's original design. Sexual morality is any act 
outside of God's original design. And so to make that a little bit more practical for you, Scripture breaks sexual immorality down into really two forms. There, there is another form, but these are the two predominant forms that Scripture talks about. And you might be familiar with it if you read Scripture. Two words, fornication and adultery. Sexual immorality is any sexual act outside of God's original design, and Scripture breaks that down into two words, fornication and adultery. So let me kind of give you just a little refresher on what each words mean. Uh, fornication is this, any premarital sexual activity, any premarital sexual activity, any sex before marriage is a sin, Amen. Just Let's just put that out there. Any sex before marriage is a sin. The second one is adultery, and you've probably heard this. And this is, uh, if fornication is premarital sexual activity, then adultery is any extramarital sexual activity. What do I mean by that? That sex with anyone that is not your spouse is a sin. Amen? Now, we kind of prepared you last week that we kind of opened up the text line and throughout the week, we had received a few texts, and what we wanted to do is we kind of wanted to take a look at some of the ones that maybe we felt encompassed, everything that people were saying. And so I, what I've done is I've kind of put three questions uh, inside of today's message, and we'll kind of answer them as we go. And so this kind of brings us up to one of the first questions that was asked. And so on the text line, one of the first questions that were asked was this, as a single, how far is too far? How far is too far? And so what I just kind of want to tell you about that, if you're a single in here, what it, how far is too far um, is this. Uh, well, the first thing I want to tell you is that it, it's always the spirit of the law, not the law itself. Amen? Sometimes we could put laws and rules on things, but the law that maybe, or the rule and the law sometimes is just you trying to abide by a standard when in reality there's a motivation and there's a heart behind it. And so I don't want to just slap a law or a rule. I want to make sure that the heart is in the right place. Amen. And so um, for any rule, there's a spirit behind it. And here is the deal. Um, that Here's the thing that I want to say. The easy way to answer this question for singles in this room on how far is to too far, the easy way to answer this is this, to avoid any contact that produces sexual arousal. Avoid any contact that produces sexual arousal. Now, you, some of you in here are like, well, what does that mean? Can you itemize that? Let me go back to, it's not necessarily the law, it's the spirit of the law. See, I could kind of break down some rules and, and break down some ways and behaviors, what you should do and what you can't do. But at the end of the day, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're in that moment, you shouldn't remember what Phil said. You should be listening to what the Spirit is saying in that moment. As spirit-filled people, we shouldn't be saying, okay, what did my pastor say? Okay, is this right? Because the minute you start saying, well, can I go here? Can I go there? You start blurring the lines. You have, if you have said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and in that moment, he's speaking to you. Amen? A lot of times we like to play dumb. Well, maybe, you know, I can do this, but I can't do that. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is there with you. And just in case, I'll just be honest with you guys. Okay, can I be a little graphic? Because there's some people in here still like, can you give me just a little something? So here we go. Put on your earmuffs. To be specific, I would say touching breasts or touching genitals. How's that for you? Number two, first thing I want to tell you, it's okay, you giggle, a little nervous giggle, that's okay. Um, so number one is whenever you come across the phrase sexual immorality in scripture, what's being referred to is any sexual act outside of God's original design, and we call that fornication and adultery. The second key, that I, uh, second key line that I want, you to, I want to share with you this morning is this. During the time of the early church, when the early church was just starting to kind of get out the gates and begin to form, um, there were two secular worldviews that dominated the culture regarding sex. And these two worldviews are this, and kind of here's some, some new vocabulary words. Some of you may be familiar with this, but the two worldviews are this. The first one is called hedonism. Can you say that? Hedonism, good. And the second one is asceticism. Can you say that? 
Cool. So there's hedonism and asceticism. So during the time of the formation of the church, as the church was growing up and as Paul was writing to the early church, the world, the culture, had two distinct views on sexuality. So let me explain to you. The first one is called hedonism. What is hedonism? Hedonism is the belief that pleasure and happiness are the primary purpose of our lives. Those are the primary pursuits of our life. And so if you are a hedonist, then what you are saying when it comes to sex is that sex should be free, open, and unrestricted. Sex should be free, open, and unrestricted. This is what a hedonist does. They always go after their supreme goal in life is to make sure that they are happy and that they are pleased. And so the hedonist would say sex should be free, open, and unrestricted. So that was one worldview regarding sex uh, in, the early, uh, in the ancient times. The second one is asceticism. Let me explain what that is. This is a belief that downplays all material things as lesser and evil. Everything that is material in this world is evil. Not only does it downplay the material things as lesser and evil, but it elevates all things spiritual as right and good. As a result, when it comes to anything in regards to the body, a person who practices this, um, especially when it comes to sensual pleasures, will completely deny it altogether as evil. And so they deny the bodily pleasure, and in denying that, they believe they're going for a higher level of spirituality. Are you guys with me? Now, another text line question popped up, and again, I'm just like... You know, so happy when the text line goes up, and I'm sure you will be too. And so I want to pause right here, um, and let me share with you another text question. Um, Are you ready? This one's even making me a little awkward, okay? Here we go. Somebody texts, what about masturbation? What about that? And I think it's really important for us to understand. Hear me out. Masturbation, and I'm saying that pretty loud so everyone can hear us out there. Um, Hopefully, you know, the kids' children's ministry room, the door is shut. Um, Hear me out. It's probably not, but they're having a great time. Trust me. Um, I want you to hear me out. Masturbation is the ultimate form of self-gratification. It's the ultimate form. It's a convenient replacement to fulfill the need that only your husband and wife were meant to fulfill. At its core, it's self-serving and reinforces a me-first mentality that can hurt your marriage. At its core, are you with me? It's a self-serving mentality. It reinforces the me mentality that ultimately can hurt your marriage. Now, again, please go back and refer to last week's message. It's on our podcast. And a lot of this, you'll remember, it'll come up and give you a deeper explanation. Now, I want you to think of it this way when it comes to the two worldviews. Think of it this way. Um, Free for all or not at all. That's how the ancient world saw sex. There were some that thought it was a free for all, unrestricted, anything goes. And there were some that viewed it as a not at all, that no sex was good sex, or not no sex was good sex. So hedonism believes that all sex is good, while asceticism believes that all sex is bad. Now this brings us to the all-important question. As Christians, where do we stand when it comes to the subject of sex? As Christians, where do we stand when it comes to the subject of sex? Now, this brings us to our third point here, our third part of the classroom session. I want you to hear this. When Christianity was introduced to the world, the Christian church produced a radical third option. Now, I'm going to summarize that third option, and I'm going to call it the Christian sexual worldview. And I'm going to explain it in three points. I'm going to explain it in three points. Number one, here is the Christian sexual worldview. Number one, it's this. Sex is God's original design. God created it. God created it. And so if he created it, then we are the one organization, entire world that's authorized to speak about it. Interesting how God created it, but his church is afraid of it. Number one, sex is God's original design. This is important. The one who designs it gets to define it. 
Anytime you try to take a design and try to define it without going to the one who created it, you're in danger of perverting the original design. Anytime you take what someone else designed and try to use it for something it was not meant to be used, you're not only endangering yourself, but you're endangering its original intention. Are you with me? And so God is the original designer, and so the one who designs it gets to define it. And so let me just show you, and again, this is all refresher from last week. I totally want to point you to go back to review last week's podcast. But in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, uh, chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, let me just read briefly what Scripture says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Can I bring up a side note? It's interesting that the first time shame is ever mentioned in the Bible, it's in connection with sex. This is the first time sex is ever mentioned and also shame. And the reality is this, is that when it's done in God's original plan, the idea was for shame not to come over you. And you know what I was just kind of sharing with the worship team as we were praying? Anytime the church begins to talk about this subject, there's spiritual warfare that goes on. Can I tell you a little bit about what warfare is? It's the unseen warfare that goes on if you're in this place this morning and you're just feeling all of this heaviness because maybe you know you're not measuring up in this area and the enemy wants to lie to you and condemn you and guilt you and some some of us kind of just want to walk out and never come back I want you to know I want you to break through that I want you to identify that that's the devil and I want you to know that your past is your past and God forgives your past and then he gives you a Holy Spirit empowers you to walk differently in your future and so what I want you to know is if you're fighting in that as we bring some of these things up fight the good fight of faith that battle is good it means that there's warfare going on. The enemy doesn't want you to hear this. And marriages and younger, let me tell you, if our marriages were healthy, we'd be a better witness to the world. If our marriage, if, if we didn't, if we, if our, um, if our, the statistics of the church's failure in marriage didn't mirror the world's failure in marriage, we'd be a better witness to the world's. But marriages fail because of lack of communication. And where there's lack of knowledge, you die. And this is important. And so as I kind of begin to preach this, allow it to attack some of those thoughts and mentalities that you've been built up. And if you begin to feel any shame or condemnation, rebuke the devil and say, you know what? I'm going to let this saturate my life and I want to grow in holiness. I may not be there right now, but I want to get there. Amen? Are you with me? So therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now hear me out. Sex designed by God was created to only take place in the context of a heterosexual monogamous covenant. He designed it. He defines it. The way God designed sex to take place was in the context of a heterosexual monogamous covenant. One man, one woman, one marriage. That's how God designed it. Now, on the text line, we received another text. And somebody asked, hey, can we live together? Can we have children together and still honor the Lord without being married? The answer to that question is simply no. No. That I want you to know, sometimes our culture does it backwards, right? Our culture looks at sexuality and marriage as a car that you test drive. And, and I'm sure if you've talked to any of your friends that don't have a lot of church past or whatever, they'll probably look at you like crazy. What do you mean? You guys aren't, how are you going to know? You know what that means? That's a culture that raises up self-gratification over mutual submission in marriage. And what they're saying is instead of, instead of sex being a ministry between spouses, it's, well, check to see if that person pleases me. You're already building on a faulty sand. No wonder why the divorce rate is where it's at. Are you with me? And so the, the answer is no. And you'll feel, you'll feel all these excuses come up. But wait, we've been this way. We would do this. The answer is no. You know, I, I want to let you know I've had a joy as a, as a pastor and as a leader over the past couple of years to marry folks that kind of came and said, you know what? The Lord has just been speaking to us, and we've been living together, and you know what? We feel like we're in sin, and we feel like we need to get married. And you know what we did? We just kind of went and had a beautiful we had a beautiful time together, privacy, just me and them, and we married them before the Lord. And we did everything that we needed to do before the law to make sure that everything was okay. And my, my question would be this. Um, if you have children and you're living together, then why are you making a covenant? 
And, is, and maybe there's some wounds there about how maybe you saw your parents and you, there's some fears there. But I would, I would say this, it's time to trust the Lord in that area. Amen? Okay. So number one, what is the Christian worldview when it comes to sex? Number one is God's designed it and so he could define it. And we define it as one man, one woman, one marriage. The second thing I want you to know regarding, our, um, regarding the worldview of Christianity. Are you ready, men and women? Married couples, are you ready for this? Here we go. Sex is a ministry. Thank you. The ministry of marriage. Here it is. Sex in the context of marriage is not only permitted, but it's commanded. Woo. First, where is that at, Pastor Phil? Right? Some of y'all hitting your spouse here. This is a good time to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. You ready? It says this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Didn't know the Bible talked about stuff like this, huh? For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now, husbands, before you say, oh, see? But I want you to know. <laughs> likewise, thank God for that, right? The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You ready for this? Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again. Here it is. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Wow. This is the Christian worldview right here. God designed it. God commanded it. God-honoring sex involves the beauty of mutual submission. Amen? Sex becomes less of a duty and more of a ministry when you give that to, to Christ. Finally, this, the, third, the third part of this sexual worldview from a Christian perspective is this. Um, not only is it God's original design, not only is it a ministry of marriage, but the bed should be undefiled. According to the Christian, according to the Christian worldview, the bed should be the bedroom should be a sacred and undefiled place. Let me explain that. Sex with our spouse must be guarded. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says this: let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So here it is: undefiled sex is sex that has been perverted. By the two worldviews of the culture, free for all or not at all, both miss the mark. Are you with me? Free for all or not at all, both miss the mark and the intention of God's original design. Now, we always read books and you see all over the place, good sex, good sex, how to have good sex. We all want good sex, amen? In Genesis, God declared everything to be what? Good. He created it and then he said it was what? Good. So the definition of good sex is one man, one woman, one covenant, mutually submitting to one another, and it becomes a place of ministry. That's the definition of good sex. Not all of that stuff that you got in your mind that the culture put there. That is the intention and original design of good sex. Now, one more awkward text line question, and then I'll get into some preaching for you this morning. Amen? The text line says, thank God. Is there any kind of sex that's wrong in the marriage bed? Now, again, we want to make sure that you understand that the Holy Spirit is the most important person to invite into your marriage bed. You might, well, wait a minute, yes. You and your wife should both be coming together and in that place of mutual submission, it's an act of worship unto the Lord. Amen? And so let me just give you a couple of things. Number one, you obviously want to make sure the Holy Spirit is always there with you. But number one is you always want to start with mutual consent. You, 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 never, you, never, you never want to pressure the spouse into doing something that's uncomfortable. You never want to manipulate the situation to get what you want. Remember, it's not about you. It's about ministering to one another. And the problem is, is because we've made mistakes in our past, we're trying to bring our old experiences into the new bedroom. And you want your husband or your wife to do what so-and-so did. You know, you still need deliverance from that last person. I'm just being real. And so we need to come together, and there needs to be a discussion. Yes, 
wives and husbands, there can be a discussion around this. And if something feels uncomfortable or just something isn't, then together you come together and you begin to pray and seek the Lord together in this area. Are you with me? I'm I'm just trying to help, y'all. So start with mutual consent. The next thing is natural design is important, okay? Like there are some places that God kind of allowed things to take place in. There's some places that, it's not, that God didn't design it for that. Are you all with me? Do I got to like beat around the bush here? But you know, I'm just going to say it anyways. There are some places that naturally get lubricated and some places that just don't. And there may be something inside of you that desires that other place, but you got to take that desire and submit it to the Lord. And say, why? Where is this coming from? This is dark. This is not the original intention that you have in mind. Are you with me? Amen. And so things like anal is unnatural. I was going to say it. And here's another thing. You ready? Here's another good rule of thumb. Keep away from pain. You 50 shades of gray people. We rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Y'all sneaking in. I know some of y'all went to watch it last weekend. Just let the Holy Spirit deal with you. <laughs> but stay away from pain. Are you ready? Stay away from porn. Even if it's with you, don't know. That's, stay away from that. That's somebody else you're allowing into your bed. And you ready for this? Stay away from any toy that replaces your need for your partner. Stay away from any toy that replaces your need for your partner. Now, I know there's some tasty butters out there. That's okay. But stay away from here. I know it's weird, right? Some of y'all never going to come back again. I love you. God bless you. There are great churches all over the place. Call me. I'll send you to some good preachers. Trust me. This is just what I do. I'm trying. I got to unbutton this too. Thank you, guys. Thanks for helping me out. Any toy that replaces your need for your partner, keep that out, right? Because here it is, is that God has designed your husband, God has designed your wife to, to be able to take that place. And so when you stop needing them is when you create a, a divorce in your sex life, right? A lot of us, were married everywhere else, but there's a divorce in our sex life. Please don't feel condemnation. I want to empower you, okay? I want you to grow in your marriage. And singles, I want you to be taking notes because you already know, not at all. You're like, wait a minute, you didn't say that. That's asceticism. No, that's not at all until you get married, all right? Okay, here we go. With that being said, why don't we open up to 1 Corinthians (laughs) chapter 6. I promise you we're going to preach, and we're going to read verses 12 through 20. And I'm going to say a prayer this morning. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for being with me in that opening time. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would touch the hearts and the minds in this place. And I pray that your words and your will would be done. And I pray, Lord, that I just uh, submit my mind and my heart to you. And I pray that as we leave this place, I pray for healthy singles and healthy marriages. Let it be said of Inspire Church that their singles and their marrieds are healthy. And they're growing in holiness with one another. And so, Lord. I pray a blessing over everyone in here, and I pray that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone in the house said amen. Amen. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20 is what we're going to go over. And I'm going to give you just a real, real quick brief background. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church because they've been hit with some sexual tension. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, the Corinthian church is starting to form itself in a time where the culture and the church are clashing. And so Paul is writing to the church for a lot of reasons, but in this section, he's covering sexuality. Are you with me? So let's read chapter 12. And what I'm going to do is, or verse 12, I'm going to read verse 12 and 13 and stop there for a moment. And so let's read verse 12 and 13 together. It reads like this. The Apostle Paul writes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, much like what the church is facing today, the question is, 
Who will define our sexual ethic and who will influence our sexual practices? Will it be Christ or will it be the culture? Who will define our sexual ethic and who will define how we practice sexuality? Will it be Christ or will it be culture? Now here's what I want you to know. In verse 12 and 13, it records what all the cool kids are saying. What do I mean by that? I want you to notice, and you can look up here, and we only have one for you, but I want you to notice I color-coded that for you. And you'll see that there are some, some phrases in blue and some phrases in red. Now, you may not know this, but the phrases in blue are actually in quotes, and the phrases in red are not in quotes. That tells us that the blue phrases are actually not the Apostle Paul's words. The Apostle Paul is giving commentary to popular slogans that are traveling around the Corinthian city during that time. It's like YOLO. You only live once. We heard that all the time, right? We might be a little past that, but I still hear YOLO, right? And so if you think about it, every phrase that you see in blue is basically a YOLO of the time. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they're using phrases like YOLO as if they're biblical. And they're mixing up the culture in the church. Are you with me? So let me just break down the Corinthian sayings for you. Basically, what he's saying, what the Corinthians are, kind of their slogan is, all things are lawful. A-T-A-L. <laughs> all things, A-T-A-L, A-T-A-L. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. That's the slogan that they're repeating. And then they're also saying this, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. What does that mean? So let me give you a translation. Translation is this, this is my body, these are my appetites, and because they're mine, nobody has the right to tell me what I can and cannot do with them. Are you with me? Now, doesn't that sound familiar? This is my body, these are my appetites, and because they're mine, nobody can tell me what I can and cannot do with them. That sounds so familiar. Why? This is the same spirit. Are you ready for this? That has permitted the murder of innocent babies. We are in a culture that is not just legalizing but elevating abortion because of that same spirit. This is the same spirit that has empowered the so-called sexual revolution. And for those of you who would argue that this worldview is new and that the Bible worldview is old-fashioned, outdated, oh my gosh. Your friends ever said, oh gosh, that's so old-fashioned. That's so outdated, like, come on, right? There's this whole thing going around now, like, why are you so in the past? Am I right? I hate propaganda. You know, if you think that the Bible is old and you think that we're all of a sudden coming into this new enlightenment, I need you to think again. Free for all, I can do what I want with my body is old-fashioned, played-out, rebirth paganism. It was, it's been said, it, that's, that's been said a long, long time ago. And the Christian church has always brought a radically new idea to the table to challenge the culture. Isn't that crazy? You can actually look at your friends right now and say, you know what, I love you, but that devil's lying right now. What Christianity has to say about sex is not old-fashioned. It's radically new, and it challenged the culture of the day. Now, can we take a little discipleship detour for a moment? Promise you I'll get right back on. I want you guys to understand this. Four things need to take place for a culture to worship sex. For a culture that's idolizing sex. For a culture that's worshiping sex. Four things need to take place. Are you ready? Here are the four things. Uh, liberate, educate, erase, and redefine. If a culture wants to worship sex, four things need to take place. Liberate, educate, Erase and redefine. Can I explain what that means to you? Number one, sex must be liberated. It must be liberated from these radical, restrictive boundaries. And you know how you liberate? When you're a culture and you're progressing towards uh, idolizing sex, you liberate it by doing two things. Put on your seatbelts. These next four things are going to put us in uncomfortable places. But I promise you this is the word of God. Here it is. Number one, in order to liberate sex in a culture, the first thing you need to do is normalize heterosexual excess. Normalize heterosexual excess. And number two, normalize homosexuality. And so our culture has done a great job of placing heterosexual excess and placing homosexuality on the forefront in order to normalize these things in the way of pornography, in the way of TV, movie, music, marketing, celebrities. 
It's so crazy. ABC Family went to Freeform. What went on? All of a sudden, we were watching just cool little family shows. Then we went to Freeform, and the game changed. Look no further than your programming. Look no further than your marketing and your billboards. Look no further than the music that some of you are still playing, and you're being indoctrinated while you're listening. Now, not the rule. I want the Spirit to speak to you. But I want you to know that you are being, you, we need to be aware of what we're indoctrinating ourselves with. No wonder why we struggle because we feed ourselves with a, you know, we, some would say, well, I don't like going to church because I don't, you know, I can't really sit through a message. Well, you get messages all the time when you put your earphones on. It's preaching to you something. What message is your soul be receiving? And some of us, you know, I'm going to give up on Christianity. Well, why? Because you know what? God said he delivered me from this. He said he would do this in my life. And, you know, it's been six weeks. <laughs> Right? But you know, it's God didn't do this, God didn't do that. And it's, you know what? It's, you, you go to church once a week, and then the rest of the week, you're just exposing yourself. You're just feeding yourself more and more. And the Lord's like, I'm working with you. Holy Spirit's coming in and doing some things. But you know what? You gotta, uh, you gotta crucify that flesh. There's gotta be a partnership taking place. Amen? Number one, liberate. Number two, educate. So now that we've liberating, we're making sexual excess and homosexuality a norm. Number, number two is we have to educate by providing resources for indoctrination to the adults and to the children. Right? So we create clubs, classes, curriculums, sensitivity training, and all of a sudden there's certain pronouns you can't even say no more. Because you're offending somebody. Everything is offended. Everyone is offended. And we can't, we have to use the word they. And we have to, it, there is all this sensitivity training. And of course, it's being promoted as equality and, and, and beautiful. And they're marrying, you know, one of the biggest travesties is that they're taking this, uh, they're taking the education and they're marrying, they're marrying it. And I just, I, they're marrying it with um, the civil rights movement. They're marrying it with the civil rights movement. And it just saddens me that they would use that same platform as if it's the same thing. You can abstain from sexual immorality. You can't abstain from skin color. You can crucify your flesh and die to yourself, but you can't die to your skin color. You can't marry those two together. That's unfair, and that's the enemy. Educate by providing resources for indoctrination to adults and children. Third thing, erase. See, this needs to ha these four things need to happen for a culture to worship sex. Number one is you need to liberate sex. Number two, you need to educate. Number three, you need to erase sexual consequences. You know how we do that in this culture? We erase sexual con uh, consequences by providing, I'm sorry, we erase sexual con consequences by providing contraceptives, birth control, and abortion. Now, anyone can have casual sex without any fear. Are you with me? Y'all see how this is working together? I know there may be someone in the house disagreeing with me. Totally okay, but I'm trying to let you know this is the biblical worldview. Once you've erased the consequences, or at least you're trying your best to do it, number four, you redefine. And that also partners with the education process, and it partners also with the liberation process. But what do I mean by that? You take God's design for gender, marriage, and family, and you redefine it. And you, you take something... That was objective, and you make it subjective so that there's no truth at all. Uh, I, the other day, uh, a friend of mine and I were dialoguing, and uh, he kind of came across something on YouTube, and it was kind of like a Sesame Street. And you click on the Sesame Street, and it's got puppets, and there's a teacher or whatever, and that teacher is teaching about being a non-binary masculine. And uh, basically, the kids are having a dialogue. It's really, I mean, my kid watches kids TV all the time. He learns how to count from me. I mean, thank God for it, right? Sometimes we're just tired. Like, here you go. You know, slap it right in front of them and watch it. Um, don't call CPS on us. I promise we're good parents. Um, but here these puppets are and these kids are talking and kind of this, I, I, you know, this, I, it's even hard for me now, but I mean, I want to say this gentleman comes in and he's teaching that he's non-binary masculine. He's not even calling himself a man, but he identifies non-binary masculine. And so what does a culture do that worships sex? Well, it does four things. It liberates, it educates, it erases, and it redefines. And then you're in church today. Whenever the word of God is spoken, all of a sudden, you're offended because the culture is doing its job. 
Because if the culture can destroy the father, then, he can, then it can do anything it wants in sex. And so some of you ask me, well, this is, this is a worship issue. What we are doing, Romans chapter 1 tells us this is an exchange of masters. We are now taking the design of God and we are rebelling against it and we are lifting up our own image. And you know what we're doing is we're making a worship exchange in our culture. And that's what Paul will say, we exchange the creator for the creation. A culture that idolizes sex is a culture that makes a worship exchange. In radically redefining God's original design, we are engaging in an act of rebellion. We're elevating what the creator created without giving honor to the creator. We're saying to him, your design is not good enough. I have a better way. And I'm pretty sure that's what Adam and Eve did when the serpent came to him. I can be like God. So when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he's saying, I know what the culture does. I know what the culture says, but you belong to Christ. And so let's continue to read this section. We're going to start off in verse 14, and we're going to read 14 through 20. And it reads like this. Paul's still writing. After kind of he goes back and forth with the slogans of the Corinthians, and he's kind of answering them. He says this. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up you by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So let me tell you, three. Re- Paul says there's three reasons why we do sex differently, church. Are you ready? Here it is. Three reasons why. Because of eternity, because of unity, and because of ownership. Number one, this is important. If you're a Christian or if you're not in the Christian, if you're not a Christian today, I want you to at least see where we're coming from. If you're a Christian, as Christians, we understand the eternal significance of our bodies. We understand the eternal significance of our bodies. You know, our bodies are not temporal. You know that? Because our bodies, because our bodies are not some type of temporal, disposable shell, what we do with our bodies now matters. Did you know that your body is eternal? Did you know that when the resurrection of the church comes, he's not just resurrecting your heart and mind. Your body will be resurrected too. A lot of you think that in heaven we're just going to live in this kind of weird ether world and kind of this floating spirit. That's not true. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. We're going to live on this new earth without the disdain of sin. And we're going to be in our mortal, no longer mortal bodies. We're going to be in our rejuvenated, resurrected bodies. And because our bodies are not throwaway, what we do with it now matters. Let me quote to you a pastor and author, Paul Tripp, writes this. Sexual obsession is a denial of eternity. If eternity does not exist, all we're left with is the here and now, which means an ethic that says get as much pleasure as possible for as long as possible. This is the essence of hedonism and the spirit that's behind pornography, sex, slavery, and every self-serving pleasure that victimizes another for the sake of personal gratification. Men like Harvey Weinstein and movements like Me Too are the result of a culture who worships creation rather than the creator. That's the result. I can, and I appreciate it. There are some great movements that are coming around. I'm not putting down this movement. But we have these movements, and then we also have these men. And women too. But the reason why we're in this mess is because culture desired to, desire to steer away from God's original design. Anybody with me this morning? But as Christians, we need to know that when it comes to our bodies, our participation in the kingdom of God is at stake. Amen? Listen to the Apostle Paul. He writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, neither the sexually immoral... Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkard, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Number one, as Christians, we understand the 
eternal significance of our bodies. Number two, as Christians, we understand the reality of being united with Christ. Paul says the reason why you think differently than your culture is because they don't know the eternal significance of their bodies. Number two, he says the reason why you think different than the culture is because you know what it means to be united in Christ. So let me explain to you. When I gave my life to Jesus, when I gave my life to Christ, Jesus and I became one. We got married. So whatever I do with my body, Christ does too. Paul asks two questions to help us think about this. The first question is this. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? Well, what do I mean by that? We know what takes place physically, amen? When you have sex, we know what takes place physically, right? There's intercourse, yeah? But here's the question. What kind of transaction is taking place spiritually, emotionally? We know what's going on in the scene, but what's taking place in the unseen? Can I get a little graphic with you? Yeah. Somebody would have said no, I would have been, I would have been stuck. Um, <laughs> here's what I want you to see. A man goes into a woman, and a woman receives a man. A man releases, and she receives. This is important. More than just bodily fluid, exchanges are being made. Exchanges are being made. Now, I'm going to speculate a little here, okay? I'm going to go a little above and beyond Scripture, and I want to be careful. I want you to know I'm very to the word, but I want to speculate here because Scripture is not exactly, uh, uh, doesn't exactly lay this out, but I want to speculate just a little bit based on kind of what I've seen and what I've studied, and this is what I mean. What kind of spiritual and emotional bonds are created in sex? Aside from remembering his cologne or remembering her perfume, Aside from the images that are being recorded in your minds, what else is being deposited and not leaving when they are gone? Maybe this is the reason why you broke up with them five years ago, but you still can't seem to shake them off today. There's still a hold. Maybe we need to break up and break off a little bit. I think there are a lot of people that have broken up, but they haven't broken off some of the things that attach to them during that spiritual encounter. This is why you could totally hate the person, but the minute they walk in, something in you jumps. You don't ever want to see them again. You don't want to hear from them again. I mean, I get it, there's hurt and there's pain, but I want you to know there's emotional damage there. You know, our school districts do a great job of telling you about all the physical issues. They don't teach you about the emotional exchange. And they sure as heck ain't going to teach you about the spiritual exchange. And when we said yes to Jesus, we became one with Christ. His nature became our nature. There was an infusion. It's no long, God no longer sees me, but he sees Jesus, his life, his sacrifice. Are you guys with me? And the type of oneness exchange that happened in that place, I wonder what that reflection is when we exchange with somebody who is not our spouse. What are we carrying with us now that was never a part of us, but that came into us because we allow somebody to go into a very intimate place with us? Second question, Paul says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? I want you to know, in Corinthian worlds, prostitution was huge. That was how they did worship. Some would go into the goddess temples, and part of worshiping their god would be engaging in sex with a prostitute. This was the normal, normal uh, routine in the temple during that time. Some of us look at this and say, oh, wow, what a crazy thing. But we have our temples and we have our places of sex right here. And you know what's crazy is the temple has moved. See, in the Corinthian church, you had to walk to a temple. Nowadays, the temple is in your bedroom on your computer. And I was just sharing, I was having a dialogue with my sisters, and I was just sharing, you know, uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago, you know, you had to walk into the video store, <laughs> right? And there was that one, I think I shared this before, there was that one room marked adults only, right? And so if you really wanted, if you really wanted it that bad, you had to look like that guy, you know? You're kind of just like walking in, you know, and you're just, you know, and then you're walking out, and everyone's like, mm, you know, little kids are, you know, they're trying to rent, you know, Little Mermaid or whatever. You're walking in that way, and mom's like, come on, honey, let's go this way, right? There was actually a shame connected to it. Some of you think shame is bad. I think God allowed some shame. Shame is a great uh, a motivator at times. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling foolish, but there is some of that. And, you know, or you had to go into this, the magazine store, right? And there's like, there's, you know, there's, here's all the cool magazines, and then there's this other one you had to actually, you know what I'm saying? And there was some, it, was, it wasn't as accessible. Now you don't even have to do that. 
You do it in the comfort of your own home. How about this? Now you don't even have to look for it because it finds you. And statistically, by the time your boy is 18 years old, 90% of them have already seen pornography. And at 12 and 13, it's 60 to 70%. And most of them in here say, you know what? I know that. You weren't even trying to look for it. It found you. And I shared with this last week. You know, nobody wakes up and says, hey, today I want to be a pervert. Nobody grew up that way. But you fall into this sin and this addiction because one day when you were innocent, not looking for it, it found you. Are you with me? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? What a terrifying question that Paul is asking. When we said yes to Jesus... Did you know that every member of our body said yes to him, including our sexual organs? As Christians, we can never separate spiritual from physical. It's impossible. This means that our bodies are just as united to Jesus as our hearts and our minds are. Amen? Paul uses explicit imagery here, but he drives home the point. Whenever a man or a woman of God enters into a sexual act, we take Jesus with us whether it's the beauty of the context of marriage or it's outside of that. Man, that's scary. Now, here's, a, here's what I want you to see. I'm going to try to make this as practical as possible. We can't coat check Jesus at the door, and then when we're done, pick him back up again. Are you with me? He goes where we go. We can't say, okay, well, this is a particular place. I think I have my sister said this one. We can't, we can't go into a particular place. Okay, well, you know what? Jesus, you can't go in here, but I want to go. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you right there, and I'm going to go, and then I'm going to come out and put you back on. We can't do that. He goes where we go. If we're followers of Christ, we said yes to Jesus. There's some of you sitting in here today, you're a follower of Christ, but you feel like you've been backsliding. And you feel like you've been going to places and you've been succumbing to things, submitting to things that you knew you wouldn't have done before. I want you to know it's not as convenient as, well, I'm just not a follower of Christ. You are buying together and he is walking with you into those places. Oh, but I love Jesus. I get that. And I want the Holy Spirit to empower you. But I, what are, are you really fighting the good fight? When you leave, the, just coming to a church on Sunday morning is not fighting the good fight. Are you with me? Finally, number three, as Christians, number one, as Christians, we understand that our body has an eternal significance. Number two, as Christians, we understand the implications of being united with Christ. Number three, as Christians, we understand what it means to be bought with a price. Bought with a price. Because our bodies no longer belong to us, we can no longer determine what we can and cannot do with it. Paul borrows the imagery of being bought from the slave market. He says, you were purchased. Your mind, your body, and your soul was purchased. When I made, when I gave my life to Jesus, when I made him Lord of my life, his blood became the currency by which he redeemed me and paid for me. You usually know how valuable something is by how much it costs. And so when you have a garage sale, you sell some knickknacks for $5 or a dollar because it's less valuable. But when you have some other things, you mark it up a little bit so you can get more money. I want you to know, how valuable are you to God if the purchase price with his blood? There's nothing more powerful, more expensive than the blood of the Son of God, and that was the payment for you on the cross. We're Christians, and we don't participate in sexual immorality because we understand that our bodies were bought with a price. And guess what? They no longer belong to me. I go for from ownership to stewardship. Amen. Now, I want to share with you three points of ownership and then we're done. His spirit, his temple, and his glory. Three points of ownership. His spirit, his temple, and his glory. Number one, his spirit. Are you ready for this? Because God bought you, he owns you. He owns you. And because he owns you, he decides who gets to be your tenant. He gets to decide who gets to occupy your residency. And you know who he's decided to occupy that residency? His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. I love what pastor and theologian John Piper says about this. This occupation is not spatial. It's influential. It's not a spatial thing. So it's not like, oh, man, is he, is he physically kind of, t- is he, man, he's kind of a small guy. 
But I want you to know that he comes inside you, but he comes inside you by, by way of his words, by way of his influence, and it comes by way of identity. This is the Holy Spirit is so closely connected with you that you begin to become persuaded and influenced and under his control. This is where we get the word inspire from. If you look at inspire, it means in spirit. Walk in the spirit so you don't satisfy the lust of the flesh. What it means is that when I gave my life to Christ, the spirit came in, and I no longer make the decisions, but I say, Holy Spirit, you take the lead. You own me, and you are the tenant that God has placed on me. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit is the down payment to eternity. His spirit. Secondly, his temple. He says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So first, he put a tenant inside of you. It's his spirit. This is ownership. Second is his temple. You know, because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of my body, my body now becomes a holy place. Do you know that? And those things which I used to view as sacred, set apart, holy. You know what's really crazy is I, I told this story before. Um, back in the day, I'd be driving around with some friends, and every time we pass a Catholic church, they do the sign of the cross. Some of you may still do that today. Fine, it's okay. <laughs> but we have a tendency when we walk into a church, some of us, right, who have some church background, or, oh, don't cuss in here. Don't cuss in here. Right? We talk like sailors everywhere else, but church, don't cuss in here. Right? Holy water, right? So the holy anointing oil, oh, man, you carry that around. Bah, like I'm praying for you now, but there's just something different when I pop that on you. And I get that, and, and very scriptural, and I, I, we could break that down. But for the most part, we look at, as humans, we can get a little superstitious sometimes, yeah? We look at something like, man, there's bringing an increase in here, something like that. Uh, holy water, man, that thing sprinkles on you. I remember I used to have a friend. We played basketball games all the time in high school. And I remember we said, what is that? And before games, mama was just shaking it on us. And it was just sprinkling. After, after game five, we were like, that's, that's mama. <laughs> that's just take it, guys. Just take it, you know. And that's okay. But we felt like this was holy communion. We set up the communion table. Some of us, are, we, we're so fearful of the Lord that we realize, man, my life is not right. I'm gonna, not going to take communion today. Because there's a reverence that you have built inside. You don't want to disrespect this, right? And it's what's really crazy is we build up things externally. And we call these items holy, sacred, and set apart. But Jesus says this, the minute you said yes to me, the spirit of the living God lives inside of you. And now those items that were holy, sacred, and set apart become your body and your members. When you said yes to Jesus, you set aside your members. And those become the holy items of the temple. And you dare not defile that. And you wouldn't do it in the physical sense. How much more so your own body. Finally, number three, his glory. I want to invite pianists to come up. We're going to pray in a minute, but I want to share with you his glory. A sexual ethic that starts with God's glory always ends with God's glory. I want you to know this. Are you ready? When I said yes to Jesus, my body became a living letter for everyone to read. Listen up, young adults, married couples. When you said yes to Christ, your body becomes a, a living epistle, a letter, so that the world can see and read it line for line. And I want my body to give glory to God. And you know what I want this letter to say? I want this letter to say three things. God is enough. God is good and God is powerful. I want my unsaved friends to see me and say, God is enough, God is good, and God is all powerful. I want my marriage to say, God is enough, God is good, and God is all powerful. I want to be a letter for the world to read. And I don't want them to say hypocrite. I want them to say, God is enough, God is good, and God is powerful. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. For the singles in here, your letter should read, God is enough. I am satisfied with the Lord. Your friends should see God is enough. You are satisfied with the Lord. How come you and your man aren't practicing this? Why aren't you guys having sex? Why aren't you guys doing this together? How come you're not going over here together? Why? Your letter should read, because God is enough, and he has sustained me, and I am sacrificing, but I am also satisfied in Christ. As difficult as it can be, I'm going to abstain. Because I know that the pleasure of God are far greater than the pleasure of any sexual encounter that will leave me broken. I will abstain because I know not to get caught up in the shadow that I miss the reality. As a single, you should declare, I want the letter of my life for the world to read. God is enough. 
God, it's enough. For those of you who are married in here, it should read, God is good. God is good. He's faithful. He's faithful. His plan for my marriage and his will for me as a husband or his will for me as a wife is holy and set apart. Nothing will ever come between my ability to reflect God's goodness to my spouse and my children. They will see the faithfulness and goodness of God. My letter will read, God is good. And for us all, the letter should read, God is powerful. We started today's message reading verse 12, and it said this. Paul quotes the the cool kids of the time. All things are lawful for me. But then he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. And I want to just take a moment to share with you my story. Many of you know I've been very open and vulnerable with you, and this means a lot to me. And so I just want to let you in. But I just want to take a moment to share my story. I spent 10 years battling with pornography. 10 years. We're not talking about six months two years, 10 years battling with pornography. And four years of that battle occurred while I was a Christian, trying to love Jesus as best as I can, walking in and out of church service and feeling the shame and the guilt, the things that I couldn't control, and tempted to say, you know what, will this this ever change? 10 years of my life I battled with pornography, four years I battled with it while being a Christian. And you know what, I really felt the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven, 15 and forward. And I'm gonna give you just a brief chop up of what he said. But Paul says this, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Nothing good dwells in me. I desire to do right, but I lack the ability to carry it out. I delight in the law of the Lord, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And I love this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My life has become God's letter. It's become God's story, His glory, and it's written, and it's written in the form of deliverance. I stand before you today completely set free of pornographic addiction, completely set free from it. And you know what's happening right now? You're reading my letter and it's saying God is powerful. God is powerful. You're reading my letter and you're saying, I'm stuck in it right now, but if you can do it, then I can do it. You're reading my letter right now saying, oh my gosh, he's a pastor? You mean, God, you can bring somebody up, you can forgive them, you can brush them off, and if they stay faithful and they trust Jesus Christ, it may not happen overnight. Some of you are like, give me the 10 steps, Phil. What did you do? And I'm going to tell you this. I can't tell you specifically what happened. I stayed faithful to his word. I stayed faithful to community. I stayed faithful to the church. And some of you are like, well, you know what, that's a little. I just stood faithful. I did what I knew how to do. I allowed the disciplines of the Lord, even though I felt discouraged, even though I felt down, even though I felt like I didn't belong. I stay faithful. And I can't tell you the exact day, the exact moment, the exact time that it all left. Here's what I will tell you. One day I started to fight it better than I ever fought it before. One day, I can't tell you the date. All I know is I woke up and what began to happen was this. I began to have domination over it when it used to have domination over me. And slowly but surely I began to walk in victory. And then I fall. But I get back up and I begin to walk in victory. And then I fall. But as I look back, I realize that thing that used to dominate me, I'm starting to dominate it. The wrestling match that I used to lose all the time, I'm starting to see some victories in my life. Is anybody with me today? And then all of a sudden, I can't even say sudden because this was a long process. But I was gaining victories and gaining victories. And all of a sudden, that thing's in the rear view mirror. And it's getting further and further behind, further and further behind. And the fragile deliverance that I was clinging onto and believing for was starting to take place. One year goes by, two years go by. The temptation still comes. But three years go by, four years go by. And I feel like the Holy Spirit has sanctified my life. And I feel like my life now reads as a letter to everyone. God is powerful. What used to dominate me 
I now dominate, but it's not me, it's Christ who lives in me. And this power is not just for me, but it's for every believer in this place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, everything is for your glory. And even the war that we're waging right now in our members, the war that we're waging in our minds, we may feel like we're not giving any glory to you. But even our struggle brings glory. So I pray for anyone right now experiencing any type of struggle. But I speak to that struggle and I say, glory be to God that there's a struggle. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower them. You give them the strength. Like Jesus prayed, I want my disciples to endure. Even when the enemy is sifting you, I want you to endure to the end. Or may we not run away, walk away, turn our backs, because this ain't happening fast enough, but may we stay faithful and trust you. So Lord, I pray for every marriage, every single individual in this house, and everyone in between, those that are dating, engaged. Lord, I just pray that this house, this church, not just individually, but we would all be living letters. May we be a letter to the Bay Area. May we be a letter to Union City, Hayward, Fremont, Newark, San Jose, San Leandro, San Lorenzo, the surrounding cities. May we grow to become a letter of strength, a letter of God's power, a letter of God's goodness and faithfulness. And Lord, even a letter of a beautiful struggle. So we honor you, we glorify you, and may we honor and glorify you, not just with our words, but our bodies. Bring us back next week, Lord God, as we continue to grow in what you've called us to grow. We love you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. And the house said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And have a wonderful Sunday. And we'll see you next week.